Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Ladies and gents, we have a very special guest here on Go Long with Dunn and Monas at GoLongTD.com. ZB, Zach Berman, the best Philadelphia Eagles beat writer in the country. I'm not just blowing smoke. I, I'd say, if, if not the best, top five NFL beat writers in the country. And I, I appreciate say, you saying we'll, we'll that. Say, I, we'll I, say top three. Yeah. We'll say top three. I, I need you as my agent, but I appreciate that. I mean, you've, you've been at multiple places there in the market, but the athletics since which season, Zach? Since the 2019 season. So I was, I, I covered the Eagles for the Inquirer from 2012 to 2017. Interestingly, the last year of Andy Reid, who the Eagles are playing against now in the Super Bowl, three years of Chip Kelly, and then the first three years of Doug Peterson. And then I did the last two years of Doug at the athletic yeah. and now the first two years of Sirianni. So it's been going well. It's amazing. I was going to say close to a decade. You are at a decade. It's crazy how time flies. I feel like we were just, you know, in a press box at Lambeau Field yeah. covering one of these Packers Eagle games. I hear, I, yeah, it's, it's been 11 years, although I'll say that the 2020 season doesn't feel like a real season from a coverage perspective. Not now the, the plight of a football writer is like lowest on the list of people who were affected during COVID. But from like a coverage perspective, as you know, this job is all about relationships and yeah. it's harder across a, a computer screen, right? So uh, being back in the locker room this year feels more like you're doing the job again. No doubt about it. I was worried too. I, I thought that these uh, NFL teams were just going to use this as an excuse to keep us out forever. So I'm glad we're back in there getting to know these guys. Um, let's jump. I, I mean, I got a million questions for you, but. I think it's still crazy that the Philadelphia Eagles are in this position mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago that, you know, Joe Judge has given this team hell on a Zoom talking about, you know, trying to win a game. <laughs> Doug Peterson's fired. This is a team in disarray. Nobody knows if Jalen Hurts yeah. is any good. Loaded question, but how in the hell did we get here? How are the Eagles yeah. in the Super Bowl this fast with this second-year coach and, and a quarterback who just improved exponentially since that point? It's it's a great question because it's really this it's it's part of what you're trying to figure out here. 
And there's a few reasons. First off, uh, Howie Roseman's done an outstanding job building this roster in particular since 2020. And they were, it, you know, we, we talk about accepting some costs or being willing to move on from players. And that's easier said than done. And them trading Carson Wentz when they did uh, was, was hitting the reset button, which, which was critical for them, right? They, they needed to hit that reset button and that allowed them to clean up things cap wise. It allowed them uh, to obviously turn the team over to Jalen Hurts. And then the decisions that they've made in 2020 and 2021, or I, I should say in 2021 and 2022 with the draft capital that they had, with the signings that they've made, they've been on a great run and it's worked out exceedingly well. I, I just love how this is a, a GM and, and a team that will swallow their ego, right? They're, they're not just going to stick with a wide receiver if they drafted because they drafted him. If he stinks, he's not going right. to play. and It'll be off the roster. And I don't know, you, you've covered this game for a long time, like you just said. Don't you think a lot of these coaches and personnel types just stick with guys a year or two too long because they're their guys? Oh, sure. And look, sometimes it works in the sense that I've, I've heard GMs say you need to let talent fail. And there is a degree of liberty to that. Brandon Graham's in year 13 with the Eagles. He's in his second Super Bowl. When the Eagles won their last Super Bowl, he had a strip sack on Tom Brady. In his first four years of his career, you could not have predicted that, right? So there have been things that have occurred that, um, you know, you know um, sometimes it takes longer for development and development's not always linear. But what you can't do is you can't, uh, you can't compound the problem or can't compound the mistake because you made one before. So you can't just stay loyal to that mistake because you already made it right there's some cost element there's being honest with yourself there's being honest with your personnel and and continue and continuing to improve and the other thing i i want to add is it's it's not just howie roseman he's done an outstanding job but you know this this coaching staff is part of the so you asked the original question in, in terms of how they got from where they were at the end of 2020 to where they are now and i'm not saying doug peterson deserved to be fired but First off, Jeffrey Lurie did a good job identifying that they needed a new voice and they needed a new direction at the time. And he did a good job identifying Nick Sirianni, who he did not interview anywhere else. It's not as if he was the hot coaching candidate on all these lists, right? There was a there were there had to be research and a degree of uh, of of willing to take that risk. And they identified something in Nick that has really worked out. And, and Nick's done a good job building a staff. And so you had that and you had the roster and then the, the, the other thing, and you mentioned it, Jalen Hurts, and I'll be honest, I didn't see this coming. Jalen Hurts developed at a rate that was um, beyond, I, I think, what most people could have expected. And the intangibles were always there, right? When they drafted them, a big part of it was they were gambling on these intangibles. The intangibles were always there, but what you're seeing in addition to that is just the improvement from a football perspective. Uh, it's he's he's earned this spot in the Super Bowl and this spot as an MVP candidate. I mean, he he would have been the MVP if he didn't get hurt, yeah. right? I mean, I, he was. The- I mean, Mahomes was outstanding too. Uh, so yeah. it's it it's hard to say, right? I mean, it's it's one of those things to use the NBA reference uh, that in those Jordan years, sometimes it was like, all right, we'll give it to Malone this year, or we'll you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, when you have someone like Patrick Mahomes, it's it's hard to bump him off 
That's off true. off, off yeah. that ledge. But Jalen played like an MVP this year. You know, I, I got to admit, watching that Alabama national championship game, when he played that, that poorly in the first half and Nick Saban benches him for Tua Tunga Viola, I'm thinking that's it, right? I mean, this is just a, a good college quarterback, had a run, but now he can't even get on the field in this kind of moment, this kind of game. I mean, the cameras pan into him every other play, it seemed, just, just yeah. to get his emotional reaction. And here he is, <laughs> playing in the Super Bowl, starting in the Super Bowl, an MVP candidate, like you said, um, I, when it comes to his game, what pops the most to you? I, I was talking to Kurt Warner earlier this season, and he was just blown away by how he reads the field. And that kind of surprised me because Kurt, you probably have talked to Kurt too, where he's old school, traditional, take your layups, right? Like that, he, that's why he loves Joe Burrow. He's just going to find the open man. He wants the athleticism to be like the extras up to your game. The foundation he really believes is one to two to three, find your guy, hit him. And he was blown away week to week that Jalen Hurts just kept doing it again and again and again. And he really believes he's not just a product of the offense and what Nick Sirianni is asking him to do. But you, you cover him day in and day out. That's the big question. Is is he, you know, is he just kind of a product of a scheme that is, you know, just, just suits what he does best? Or is he reading the field at an elite level? like Kurt Warner thinks he is. Because on the other end of the spectrum, Chris Sims is like, you know, you can plug anybody in there and then win. Uh, but what, what what says Zach Berman? Well, I, I don't think he's just a product of the scheme or the system. I, I think, to be honest with you, he is the scheme in the system. I mean, you saw that when Gardner Minshew was in there for two games. They did not run the ball nearly as effectively. The offense did not go nearly as effectively. That said, he is benefiting from having – A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard and perhaps the best offensive line in the league. I'm not going to hold that against him. That's that's part of what's made him really good this year. But I, no, I think what Kurt Warner said has 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 a lot of validity. I mean, Jalen calls himself a triple threat quarterback. And what it means by that is it's not just running the ball. It's not just passing the ball, but it's also using his mind. And so much attention goes to him being a dual threat quarterback. But I was I was speaking to Brian Johnson, the quarterback's coach, about this. Um, the information that Jalen comes back on the sideline with is like spot on. What he's seeing is exactly what he's supposed to see. And that, according to Johnson, is really the indicator that a quarterback's seeing things correctly on the field. So that's that's number one. And then number two is he works at it, right? Like it's, you know, I I, I think sometimes, um, and I'm, I, I don't mean to get uh, deep here from a, a media perspective, but – it's it's almost as if like you're forced to decide on day one of a player's career. You're you're with him or you're against him, or like you think he's going to be great or he's not. Um, Jalen Hurts is a better player now than he was after that Tampa Bay playoff game last year. He was better in that Tampa Bay playoff game than when he arrived in Philadelphia. He was better at Oklahoma than he was at Alabama. Um, so so when he got benched in the in the national championship game, he struggled completing a pass. Right? That's 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 why Nick Saban benched him. He was better at Oklahoma. When the Eagles lost to Tampa Bay last year, he he had work he had to do as a passer. He's better now. Uh, and so I, I think that that really speaks to, like, A, not forming these these wholesale judgments on players so early in, in, in their career. But, B, uh, the intangibles matter in the sense that you need to know if a player is going to put in the work to be great. And Jalen Hurts has put in the work to be great. And so I, I think 
it's it's not just the system. I I think it's it's him. He's the secret sauce in Philadelphia. I love that point, ZB. That that's so spot on because it's uh. I mean, I'm thinking to a tongue of Viola. I mean, like like pretty much everybody. I, I was writing this guy up early on, and then you learn what he was dealing with with Brian Flores um, behind the scenes, not really having the support. And oh, by the way, it helps when you add a Tyree Kill, just like it helps when you add an AJ Brown to to Jalen Hurts and. Yeah, it's uh, he, he's a fascinating. Hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What's my up? Daughter, I, I love my it. Daughter just got home. Sorry about that. Okay, I love. Sorry it, about that. Hey, yeah. Thank you for fitting. This yeah, in. you might hear my son. I, I in can't the imagine how busy you are. <laughs> no, uh, it's no problem. <laughs> uh, I, want, I do want to ask you about Nick Sirianni uh, before we lose you because you know the press. No, you got all my time, by the way. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Um, so the the when he's hired as the Eagles coach. And he has that press conference. Everybody's mocking him. Everybody's making fun of him. I, I don't know. Like, I think we are wired the same way. I don't really like press conferences. I feel like it's all performance art. And, you know, everybody's kind of playing a role in this production. And you don't really get to know people on a personal level. And, and yeah. in, in rare cases, maybe somebody's themselves at a podium. But for the most part, you're, you're projecting an image. And you're, you're projecting a message to the fans, to your players, to coaches, what, what have you. Um, when, when he was hired and he had that press conference that everybody criticized to kingdom yeah. come, what, what was your interpretation of it? And why, and why was it so panned? I, I, for no matter what I remember, it was like a word salad. He was just kind of talking in circles. He was nervous, but I, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Well, I, I, I tend to focus more on the content than the delivery, um, to begin with. Right. So, so I'm, I'm less enthused or, uh, or like swayed by the delivery of someone and, and more and more, what are they saying? And look, that was a tough setting for Nick. He, he did not help himself. I I'll, I'll tell you that, but um, like it, it was, it was over zoom, right? So you're in this big auditorium, but there's no one there. You that's don't so know these weird. people. Like that's, uh, nobody remembers yeah. that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you don't know these reporters yet. Right. You hear how tough of a market Philadelphia is. Um, and you know, it's it's not like he's one of these guys who who was uh, a coordinator for 15 years and was, you know, was 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 kind of prepped for this role and, and had been in this type of spotlight. This was a bigger spotlight than he was used to. And from a, a content perspective, uh, the Eagles had Carson Wentz on the roster. That was the biggest question of the of and rightfully so when he got hired. And it honestly it wasn't his decision. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if, if, if that's how, how they would frame it, but the reality is he got hired um, with a franchise quarterback who had a, who had a 127 or so million dollar contract that hadn't even started yet, who was benched the previous year, who reports are coming out that he wanted a trade. Right. And, and now Nick Sirianni comes up there and it's like, is Carson Wentz your quarterback? <laughs> he doesn't know what the, you know, so, <laughs> so true. what the hell is he going to say? So, uh, so again, I, I think that it's very easy to kind of look back and like cherry pick sound bites or the general perception of it, but, but context always matters, always matters. And the context of that press conference was difficult for him to navigate. And, uh, and I can tell you that in, like so many conversations and even press conferences since then, he's so much better. Like there's a lot of things you would say about Nick Sirianni. Um, you would never call him 
like unpersonable or or whatever the opposite of personable is. He's his personality is part of what makes is 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 part of the draw to him. Um, but he needs to be comfortable, like like all humans. So I think that I don't think that press conference was an indication of who he was. And I think that once once he kind of got his feet underneath him and it became his team, then you started to see more of who the real Nick is. It, that, that's so I couldn't agree more. Like instead of caring about maybe, maybe it's because I ramble and stutter and, you know, talk in a, you know, a mile a minute myself, but instead of worried about how things are said, let's, let's think about the content yeah. and judge people based on their action. Because as that's happening, they're making that decision to trade Carson Wentz. They get something for this quarterback that they don't want, right? They yeah. unload that contract and they roll with Jalen Hurts. It's a huge gamble. It's a huge risk. It's talking about, you know, knowing when to stick with a player and when to give up on a player. They made two amazing decisions at the same time, right, right there with two players. And who, who cares how, how he's delivering that message when Joe Judge, I remember his introductory press conference and I loved it. I'm like, I want to run through a wall for this guy. Like he's going to change the New York Giants. And then it was disaster. So yeah, that, that's a great point. And it also ended up being like a perfect fit. Yeah, and and to your point, and I think this is a, it's something you know, but 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 certainly your audience, your audience might know it, they might not know it. When when coaches or or GMs or even players are up there speaking, you need to think who the audience is, and there's so many different audiences, right? And you're obviously the fan base is the is the audience we all think about, and that is an introduction to the fan base, right? But oftentimes when coaches are up there, they're speaking to players or they're speaking to other teams. So you need to be careful what you say about this quarterback situation because you're still massaging it, right? Um, from a business perspective, you're trying to maintain leverage in negotiations. You don't want to seem like, oh yeah, we're getting rid of this guy, right? Yeah, yeah, we thought he stunk. You know, you don't want that. I, I mean, they got they got uh, a really good haul for him, right? I, I mean, if if they got up there and 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 they're like, yeah, I don't believe in him. I'm turning to Jalen Hurts. That that hurts you in negotiations. So um, so leverage in negotiations matter. So so there's a lot of dynamics that are at at play there. And um, I mean, your audience can probably appreciate it in in the sense that imagine if if Green Bay hired a new coach this off season, well, that opening press conference there there'd be a lot you would need to navigate there, right? Uh, I just so, say tr- <laughs> we we're dumping Rogers. Whoever wants yeah. to just take him. Yeah. So <laughs> so 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 point being that. Um, I don't think that was really a good indication of who Nick Sirianni is. And then the third, just huge decision that this team, this this front office made, um, that's a big reason that we're even sitting here talking a week before the Super Bowl, the A.J. Brown trade. Um, yeah. Draft day, it happened really fast. At least outside looking in, it happened really fast. Did you have any sense that that could go down um, leading up to the draft? And then how did it go down, to your knowledge? Well, they they wanted – a wide receiver like that, that, that was not a very well-kept secret that they wanted a, a, a top wide receiver. I mean, Calvin Ridley before Calvin Ridley was suspended, that was something you heard about. And then Allen Robinson that, uh, well, I should say Christian Kirk is someone uh, they were interested in got priced out. I think Allen Robinson, um, you know, uh, the athletic Jordan Rodriguez reported, um, you know, that the Eagles were in on, on him. And then Allen Robinson went to LA uh, so it was no secret that they wanted a wide receiver. 
I didn't think they were going to draft one in the first round after spending first round picks in, in, in recent years on, you know, Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager, JJ, I think a white side in second round. So, so you're thinking more of the veteran route. You have to remember at that time, AJ Brown was very public about wanting to stay in Tennessee. And Mike Vrabel was very public about wanting to keep AJ Brown in Tennessee. So uh, I think that was the byproduct of, you know, contract negotiations that just weren't working out. Right. Like AJ, AJ wanted to get paid and rightfully so he, he, he deserved it. Uh, And, you know, the Eagles, so, so, so the Eagles were able to, A, they had to draft assets, they traded a first and third round pick and they wanted to acquire him and uh, you know, and, and they were willing to pay him. They gave him a four year, hundred million dollar contract right there uh, on draft night. Right. And the trade was contingent upon those contract negotiations. And from what I understand, it was like, it was going up, you know, in, in terms of the negotiating almost to the last minute there. Right. Um, but from from AJ Brown's perspective, he uh, he didn't know much about the Eagles, other than who his quarterback was going to be. And him and Jalen Hurts are longtime friends, like best friends almost, uh, for lack of a, of a better term. They they got to know each other really well on um, when AJ Brown visited Alabama when Jalen was going to Alabama, and I, you know I, I, Jalen's the godfather of AJ's daughter, uh, and. Uh, Actually, A.J. Brown spent um, – or, or I'm sorry, Jalen spent draft night with A.J. Brown when A.J. was drafted. Uh, and when that trade went down, they had a FaceTime call that, like, for all the public to see. Um, so that was – you know, I, I actually – I asked A.J. about it a, a few hours ago if because a lot of people remember that he was traded. What's not remembered is that he also signed this contract extension. Like, he, he committed to Philadelphia relatively long-term – um, that night. And so I asked him, like, was the roster part of the of the decision? And he said, no, he said he didn't know much about the roster. He knew the quarterback, you know, and that that was the big thing for him. There is, is the quarterback then obviously the contract. Um, so, yeah, so that but that unlocked the entire offense. You're you're right to bring that up because you you have him and you have Devontae Smith, who just is outstanding. And the, the two of them complement each other so much. And, and Dallas Goddard probably doesn't get enough, enough credit either. And he is so good in the middle of the field. Um, and so the three of them, the Eagles looked at, at their offense last year, and they made this great run to make the postseason late in the year after starting two and five with a run-based offense. And when the, the coaches were looking at the team, they knew that they, they needed to upgrade the passing game. And part of that's Jalen, but they, I mean, part of that's the weapons. And so getting AJ changed everything in that offense, changed the way defenses play them. Uh, it gives you that, that, that bona fide player. And to think that, you know, the, where the Eagles were in 2020, when I'm not kidding you, their, their top receiver that year was Travis Fogel, who's no longer in the league. Their second receiver that year was Greg Ward, who's on the Eagles practice squad now. Um, you know, Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson were supposed to have big roles on that team. Uh, both players were injured and, and, you know, they're, they're not, you know, factors in the, in the NFL right now. So to get from where the Eagles were in 2020 to where they are now, um, I think that speaks to how they went from what four and 12 to a, or four, 11 and one to a Super Bowl team. What a breakdown that that's fascinating. I, I totally forgot how bad that receiving core was 
just a couple years ago. And it took a leap of faith from Howie Roseman, um, Nick Sirianni, AJ Brown, and a dance partner in Tennessee. I remember when the trade happened, I'm like, that makes sense for Tennessee because yeah, you could have made that work with AJ Brown, but then you'd have to restructure Tannehill's deal in a way that keeps him around maybe a little longer than you'd want. And Taylor Luan and some of these older players, you're pushing money down the road and they're trying to compete in the present while not, you know, destroy the future. But then you let a really good player like AJ Brown out the building and your GM is fired anyways. So, well, yeah, I, I think just the hang on to your good players. <laughs> But I, I think the team building lesson for your audience, because I, I know you have audience here that's that's not just kind of eagle centric, is uh, it's it's not a coincidence in my in my opinion. The Eagles went to the Super Bowl in 2017 with their starting quarterback on a rookie contract. They went to this to Super Bowl this year with their starting quarterback on a rookie contract. And uh, I'm not saying that you're not going to make the Super Bowl when you pay your quarterback a big money um, because. Eventually, if, if if he's that good, he earns it. But what I am saying is, is that if you're a general manager and you have a good quarterback on a rookie deal, you better be aggressive. Like, what are you waiting for? That is such an opportunity for you. And and kudos to Howie Roseman for recognizing that. When they traded Carson Wentz, they, they took a huge cap hit on the chin last year to open up money for this year. And where did that money go? They sign – they trade for A.J. Brown. They sign Hassan Reddick. They sign James Bradbury, right? Like they they do this because they're not paying a, a quarterback $30 million this year. Um, so I think that uh, the team-building lesson there is that unless you're paying Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or you go on down the list and you have a quarterback on that rookie deal, you better be as aggressive as possible because it's such an advantage for the other 52 players on the team. I, you're absolutely right. I still think if you, and I mean, Jalen Hurts is going to get paid and he should yeah. get paid and, and you he want him to be, yeah. and he earned it. And you want to be your quarterback forever. I just wonder if there's going to be a team out there bold enough to try to just recycle rookie quarterbacks every three, four years. And I don't know. I don't, I mean, that, that takes a lot of moving parts. We saw it with San Francisco where they've got this dream team of positionless players around Mr. Irrelevant of eventually that I, I don't think you're going to win. You still need a star at that position to win a Super Bowl. But I wonder if there's a GM bold enough out there that's going to try to make that his thing regularly. Um, we'll see. You, If you go that route, you really need to be good at picking quarterbacks because uh, the uh, the demand for it far outpaces the supply of it. Um, you know, there's there's not – and that's why uh, – and I've, I've, I've written this. I was wrong when I um, assessed, analyzed the Jalen Hurts pick. And I do think the Eagles didn't totally take into account the residual effects of it, how it affected Carson Wentz, who was their franchise quarterback, what, you know, the the way it kind of disrupted that team. But where I I was wrong on it was that if you have a quarterback that you believe in, you believe in the player, you believe in the person, Take them, take them. Like it doesn't matter uh, what your depth chart looks like. Take them because it's it's so it's so rare to find a good quarterback in this league. And by the way, this is my eleventh year covering the Eagles. Like we said, in ten of those years, the quarterback either got injured or got benched. Um, so <laughs> chances wow. are you got to turn to the backup, right? The Eagles won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. 
this year when they're, I mean, Gardner Minshew started two games. Um, so yeah, the, the, you know, they, they just played San Francisco in the conference championship. San Francisco had four quarterbacks knocked out at some point this year. So quarterbacks are hard to find. If you believe in the quarterback, take them and don't get, don't get too cute. Don't say, well, he's going to be there in the third round. If you believe in the guy, take him. Well said, Zach. I, I can't thank you enough for, for fitting us in. You are probably the busiest man in the business right <laughs> far now. Far from that. So. I, I, can, I, I can tell you the people I'm covering are far busier. So <laughs> At Z-Berm. At Twitter, Z-Berm right? on Twitter, yep. Yeah, and, and you can check out my coverage on The Athletic. And then uh, a, a Tyler was, was nice enough to come on the Birds with Friends podcast that I do with Bo Wolf and Marissa Dunn. Uh, and you can check that out. We'll be daily at the Super Bowl next week. You beat me to the punch, man. I've been listening when I can. You guys do a fantastic job. It's it's a great show. Everybody add that to your podcast rotation. And uh, I didn't even mention at the top of the show that we went to college together. I don't know if people know that. Yeah, so I, I, we, I see. We I just shared Syracuse stories. I rushed home. Uh, you know, I picked up my son from school and rushed home here to do this. And I see I had my Syracuse hat in the background. I, I didn't clean up my background. So, uh, yeah, so uh, we we both probably got screamed at by Jim Beheim at some point. So. <laughs> Actually, you know what's funny? The year that I covered them, uh, I, did, I did not cover a loss until they lost to Butler in the Sweet 16. They only okay. lost a couple times, and Connor had those games. So okay. I, I lucked out from Connor, the wrath yeah. of Beheim. Although he was probably bitching about his team at some point anyways, right? <laughs> that's, that's what he does. Yeah. Well, it made me better. I, I, I appreciate that. It was great. Oh, he was, it was the best, uh, you know, the best professor we, we could have had, Absolutely. right? Because if, if you didn't ask a good question, he, he'd light you up. Uh, yeah. And sometimes even if you did ask a good question, he would light you up. So, yeah. Well, hey, can't wait to see you down there in Phoenix and make sure everybody, you follow Zach, best in the business, fantastic story on Josh Sweat at The Athletic. Work that into the rotation as well. Thanks so much, Zach. I appreciate it. Thank you.